Well, good morning. Welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's a joy to get to open up the scripture. So if you have your Bible, would you open it to Genesis chapter 4? Genesis chapter 4. We are in episode 3 of this collection of sermons where we're exploring stories of faith. We're looking back at some of the stories in scripture and exploring and looking at these individuals, their lives, the things that they encountered, and discovering how they demonstrated faith in Jesus, what that faith looked like, how it transformed their life. And our hope is that it would help strengthen our faith, that our faith and hope in Jesus would remain strong as well. You know, faith is not simply just a belief system. In fact, faith has more to do with our loyalty and our allegiance to Jesus than just a doctrine of belief about Jesus. Faith is more than our intellectual beliefs about Jesus, but hear me, it's not any less than it either. And uh, today we want to look at a story as it relates to uh, two, two uh, brothers, Cain and Abel. It's found in Genesis chapter 4, and uh, here in Genesis chapter 4, what we see is we get our first glimpse to life outside of the Garden of Eden. This is the very first story where we encounter of, of uh, the first family, first siblings, we get our first uh, human worship toward God recorded in Scripture. This is the very first time that we see a harvest, uh, a reaping a harvest of work and labor that it's mentioned. This is the first time in Scripture um, that we see murder and anger. I mean, we're only four chapters in and things are already unraveling. Somebody was like, I'm going to kill him. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to. It does it one more time. Like, this is the first time we see that kind of reality. And what we learned and, and what you kind of saw as you kind of look through the first three chapters of Genesis 1, God created everything. It was wonderful. It was good. And we looked at that last Sunday. In Genesis chapter 2, you kind of double click in and you see the, the way in which and the reason for God creating humanity. We kind of get a zoomed in look at that story of how that came about. And, and then in Genesis 3, we see sin enter the world. Adam and Eve were faced with this choice. They could trust and obey God, demonstrating their faith in what he spoke to them, or they could seize their own, uh, from their own will, make a decision to determine and decide good and evil on their own. And that's what they did. They experienced the first mutiny against God's will and his ways and sin came into the world and it began to fracture life and this is our first look at what happens now outside of the garden and you're going to find that this same choice is presented to Cain and Abel the the next generation if you will Cain and Abel uh, the the sons of Adam and Eve are faced with this exact same scenario. Am I going to do this God's way or am I going to redefine it my way? Am I going to allow a trust and a belief in doing it God's way to lead me in a way of life or am I going to trust in my own way and do it in my own strength? This is the, the test, the story, the, the confrontation that comes and it's, you're going to see this same pattern repeated all through the Bible. You're going to see that opportunity repeated every day in your own life, too. And what we want to do is discover and learn from them so that our faith can grow in God. Genesis chapter 4, let's take a look at this, 
this story. We're going to start right here in verse 1. It said, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some, somebody say some, some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel brought a gift, the best, somebody say best, brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Will you uh, be accepted if you do what is right? But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and instead be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This is why I don't go hunting with other guys, right? Just... Find you can't get killed in a field if you never go out to a field with another person who has a gun. I'm just, I'm just saying there is some logic to my life. Just kidding. Verse 9. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, hey, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, why have you done this? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my, my punishment seems too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from, the pre from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will surely kill me. The Lord said, no, for I will give you a, a sevenfold punishment to anyone who tries to kill you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, there are several things in this story that, that are worth pointing out that we could spend some time unpacking, but I'm going to mention them kind of briefly because I don't think that these are the main point of the story. These are just kind of sidebars, things of interesting worth, worth noting. I think it's interesting that uh, it's worth noting that productive work has always been a part of God's plan. It wasn't part of the curse. They were working the fields and tending to sheep. They, they were being productive, multiplying and filling the earth, which was what God commanded them to do in the first place. They, they were living in this tension, though, where God's good world was beginning to fracture, but still participating in trying to cultivate goodness on the earth where they found themselves. The, they were working crops and herds, combating thistles and thorns. They were contributing to the ongoing work of creation, Work was not a part of the curse.
from the fall in Genesis 3. So quit thinking for a minute, friends, that uh, your work is a part of the curse. It's good for you to go to bed tired at night because you put in a good day's worth of work. That's holy. That's God-honoring. The perfect utopia for life and heaven on earth isn't you laying on a couch while people bring you food. The picture that the Bible gives us from the very beginning is that we would be active participants in cultivating and creating the flourishing of the world in which we find ourselves. That has always been God's plan for partnership with humanity, and that hasn't changed for any of us. Now, it's true, sometimes work feels more like toil than enjoyment. It feels like we're working and it's dead end and there's no point to it and life seems to be pointless and fruitless, but I think that's also the, the result of sin at play in our world, not the result of work being the problem. I think it's good that we hold on to this understanding that God wants us to work, to work hard, and to do everything that we do. Whatever we set our hand to, we do it with all of our might as unto the Lord, not unto man contributing and being a part of a culture and a community and a family so that we can flourish in the ways of God. I, I think we could point out in this story that envy is a problem. Envy and jealousy often have a root in the soil of offense in our heart. And where we let offense grow, bitterness shows up, and it's not too long before bitterness be turn, turns into anger. And if you just listen to the discourse of humanity right now, anger is rising in our tone and in how we talk and treat. And we overreact and we just get angry at things. And in this case, anger led to an invitation to a field where someone's life ended. We, we talked a little bit about this in our collection when we were walking through the Ten Commandments, the importance of, of guarding our own heart. I think it's important, though, that we pay attention to envy, to comparison, to criticism of other people, where we stand in a place of judgment against them rather than recognizing that we need to tend to the culture of our own hearts. If we don't guard what's growing in our heart, who will? And it's vitally important that we pay attention to that. I think it's also worth pointing out that while I think there are truths within this story as it relates to the principle of tithing and to the principle of giving, that's not the main point of this text. In fact, growing up most of my life, the only time I really heard the story of Cain and Abel brought up was when we were uh, learning about tithing, breathing, bringing the first 10%, returning it back to the Lord because it belongs to him. I think that there, there are some things in there. The Bible says Cain brought some of his goods while Abel brought the firstborn of his goods the principle of the first and returning to God what belongs to God in a way of worshiping him I think is a biblical principle that exists here there is a difference between tipping and tithing but that's not what this story is really about it has implications for that and it has some points for us to grapple and wrestle with but I think there is a, a larger theme at play in this story that is well worth us pausing for the cause and examining together. Why is it that God accepted one offering and thus by accepting the offering accepted the person? And why is it that he rejected another one and in essence someone felt this rejection and this dismissal? Uh, it, the reason for this is not explicitly stated in the text. 
The, the Bible doesn't give us a clear example as to this is exactly why God did it, which leads us to question and wonder. And, and I think some people would wonder and say, I, I think that maybe it's just this arbitrary sovereignty of God where he's electing some and dismissing others. But I don't believe that's what this text is teaching. That God just randomly selects and is pre in his mind determined who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. I don't believe that's what this is teaching, nor do I believe that that is the whole counsel of what God's word would reveal to us either. So what is it that God is trying to point us to as it relates to our faith? The author of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 and verse 4, they, he summarizes this story and highlights a few things that I think are helpful for us to understand our faith through the lens of this story and their faith in God. And I want to read it. Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says this. It says, it was by faith. Somebody say faith. It was by faith that Abel brought, he, he brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence of his righteousness as a man. And God showed his approval of his gift. Although Abel is now long dead, long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. His life is still speaking of his example of faith. Not just because it was recorded in scripture, but because the reality is your life and my life will be an echo in eternity. It could be an echo in a good way or in a bad way, but it's still going to echo. I want to live my life in a way that brings faith to life for other people. As a church, this is kind of what we're going after this year. Our theme uh, is Faith 2.0, a renewal of disciples who make disciples. We, we are going after and studying and exploring and looking at the text of scripture this year to really examine what discipleship is and how do we participate in it. I think discipleship is important. Discipleship is helping other people learn from your life, from your faith, and teaching them what you know. You don't have to know everything to teach somebody something. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, whatever it is that you've learned and heard and seen, teach somebody else that. Like, what have you learned about God? Teach that to somebody else. Discipleship, I think, is such an important part of our lives. And, and when we look at this story of faith, we, we see that Kay, or that Abel's life is still echoing. It's still speaking to who we are, to how we follow Jesus, to what this idea of following Jesus actually looks like. And, and, and I want to be someone whose life, I want my life, to be lived in a loyal, faithful love for God in obedience to his word in a way that it helps other people know what it looks like to live in loyal allegiance and faith to Jesus. I don't know if you thought about this, but for those of you that have kind of studied scripture and you've read the, you know, the first four, four chapters of the Bible, um, there's nowhere yet in the text where God commands them to bring a sacrifice yet. There has not been an instruction. My, I think it's important worth asking, a question worth exploring is, who in the world told Cain and Abel that it's important to bring God an offering? 
Is it, is it possible that they learned it from their parents? When I think about discipleship in the New Testament, I think discipleship is less about finding a class and a course to take. I think it's less about the classroom setting and more about the family dynamic. I think, I think discipleship is mothers and fathers who raise sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers who raise sons and daughters to follow after Jesus. And it grows and it grows and it grows. This is what it looks like to be a part of the family of God. This is our hope and our prayer here at Faith Church is that we would be a people who look to mature and grow as fathers and mothers who reach out and raise spiritual sons and daughters so that they can become mothers and fathers who raise sons and daughters to walk in the ways of Jesus because your life and my life are echoing in some way i think that it is true that discipleship really does uh thrive and is meant to thrive in your home but i also think it's a part of us understanding the family dynamic in a local body too that, that our faith has uh, uh, there's an element of our faith that is i don't want to say required but i don't know a better word for it there is an element where God is actually expecting a life of faith to be something that impacts somebody else's life. And I think that there's something beautiful about that. I, I think about where did, where did Adam and Eve actually learn to make a sacrifice? That just kind of come up in their own mind? I don't think so. I actually think that they learned it from God himself. Read the end of Genesis chapter 3. You remember the story? Adam and Eve were there, they found themselves, and they realized that they were naked, and so they were like, uh, here's a leaf big enough, let me take this leaf, and like, sew it together, and I'm gonna make some clothes out of plants, and like, I'm gonna cover this up, and it'll all be good, and God's like, actually, that's not good enough coverage, we need to cover it better than that, and the Bible says that God made for them coverings from animal skins. Where did those skins come from? Is it possible that God made the first animal sacrifice as a pattern for them to how they worship and would experience the cleansing and the covering of God? God was the first one. God, God always goes first. He's pursuing you before you ever pursued him. He sent his son first to die before you would ever recognize that you were a sinner in need of forgiveness from a savior. God goes first in this way. And I think it's so interesting and important to recognize that our lives have an opportunity to echo, that, that your choices and my choices are impacting other people and they're impacting our children. They're communicating something to our children. I, I want you to understand this today. I really do believe that faith is a costly choice as we choose to worship God and trust him. If you're taking notes, you can, you can write that one down. Faith is a costly choice as we worship God and we trust him. This is what was happening in the garden. This is what's happening here as they bring their offering to the Lord. It was a choice to worship and bring it. You chose to bring it and offer it to the Lord, and there was a cost attached to it. I don't know if you realize this, but the choices that you make often have a cost to them, don't they? I mean, sometimes, uh, isn't that what living a life of discipline actually is? It's making a costly decision now that will pay off later. And sometimes, you, you, there's, uh, let me say it like this, there's always going to be a cost. You're either paying up front or you're paying later. Uh, about 13 years ago, I had an uh, injury to my right knee. And it swelled up. It was awful. I limped around for a little bit, had some x-rays and different things. And I made a choice 13-something years ago. I made a choice not to do anything about my knee. 
Currently, for the last five weeks, I've been in an incredible amount of pain in my knee, waiting to go make a decision now to finally get this problem taken care of. So many years later, I made a choice so many years ago. Oh, but I am paying the cost for that choice still to this day. Choices have consequences. There's often a cost to it. David said it like this, I won't bring anything to my God in the form of worship that doesn't actually cost me something. Doesn't actually cost me something. When you come to worship God, what do you bring him? What is it you're bringing to the Lord when you come to worship? What is it you're bringing to the Lord when you come in a place and you say, God, I want to come and offer a sacrifice to you if our worship And our obedience to God is built around our comfort and our convenience. I think we need to re-examine our hearts. I'm not saying that everything that we do ought to be like some big ordeal dramatic sacrifice. Woe is me. It's no fun to worship and follow God. Like it's just all... I mean, I've got to do it in this obligation instead of delight. I don't think that that's what we need to understand. But I do think that if, if our only time of gathering to worship is when it's convenient for a schedule, I think we need to examine our hearts. If the only time you open God's word and spend time is when it's convenient to open God's word and spend time, you may not do it. If the only time you, 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 you join a connect group and grow is when you feel perfectly comfortable with everybody in the group, you need to probably re-examine some of your heart in your worship because faith is one of those decisions of loyalty to God that has a little bit of a cost to it I don't I don't worship the Lord because it makes me feel good I worship the Lord because he's worthy of it I don't worship the Lord because I feel like it I worship the Lord because he's worthy of it this is how we live our lives and I think it is very very clear in the text here's what we do know that Cain whatever he brought to the Lord wasn't what God was looking for Whatever Cain brought, it wasn't quite what God was looking for. Cain was going, I think, through the motions, but yet Abel's heart was in the right place. How can I tell this? I'm kind of looking and examining and understanding. While it wasn't, I don't think it was that God liked beef more than he liked corn. In fact, I don't think that it wasn't about the content of the sacrifice. In other words, it wasn't the outward that they were doing that God wasn't pleased with. Because Leviticus chapter five tells us that there was a sin offering that needed to be presented where you would bring an offering to the temple of the Lord, to the tabernacle, and it would be burnt in as a sacrifice to cover and cleanse your own sin. And Leviticus five starts off with uh, animals and lambs and goats. And then it goes to like, hey, if you can't afford a, a lamb or a goat, then bring a dove, two turtle doves actually is what it says you can bring. And if you can't bring that, then bring this. And if you can't bring that, then bring grain and your crops and, and, and the flour. So it's not the content that was really a problem for God. In all of that, in Leviticus chapter five, you can go back and look, everything that you bring must be brought from a priority of the first of whatever it was and it had to be quality. The, the, the choicest flour, unspotted, without any yeast growing in whatever it is that you baked. A lamb that had no spot and no blemish, it was the one that you probably would have made the most money on if you sold it in market. That's what you brought God. 
It was this understanding of what we bring ought to bring our best, not be our leftovers. When you're setting out your course for your week and you're planning your day, might I encourage you to take a step back and say, where am I going to be with God? How am I going to worship God in my schedule this week? Rather than just fit him in if it works later on. It's a matter of priority and the quality. I want to bring God my best when I'm at my best because he's worthy of it. It's my worship. I bring him my worship. I bring him my song to sing. The Bible says it's, it's a joyful noise unto the Lord, not a perfect melody unto the Lord, right? So that means all of us can bring a song to the Lord, and the Lord is looking not at the song, but at the heart that's bringing the song. In our worship time as we gather and we sing and you'll, you'll hear us clap. You'll see, you, you're welcome to watch me. It doesn't bother me at all because I don't really care what you think. It's over there. I, you'll see, I, there are multiple expressions of worship that I'll walk through on a Sunday morning. I'll kneel, I'll clap, I'll sing, I'll shout, I'll, I'll dance. And it's actually more like a little sway because, I, hello, I'm white. And so like, I just, I just can't do much with, I mean, I can really try to get it, but that kind of move just doesn't seem like this an honoring to the Lord. I, so I just kind of like, I just kind of move with the music that's a little bit better. I'll clap, I'll sing, I'll shout, I'll dance, I'll pray, I'll sing in the spirit, I'll sing a new song to the Lord, I'll sing out to the Lord. My hands will go high, my hands will go low. I'll clap, I'll do all of these expressions. Why? Because I like them? No, because God says that's a sign of your best and your surrender and your obedience to him. Because there's a cost to our faith. God was not looking at the type of element in the offering. He was looking at their heart. He was weighing the motive of their heart by looking at the quality of what they were bringing. Faith, coming to the Lord, pleasing to the Lord, a life that's pleasing to the Lord. There's a cost sometimes attached to it. A life of faith is one that is filled with sacrifices and offering unto God. This is what a life of faith looks like. We make offerings and sacrifices and we bring them to the Lord. It's, it's our obedience, in essence. Romans 12 says it like this. Bring and offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your reasonable, reasonable act of service and worship to the Lord. I love how the paraphrase, the message, Eugene Peterson and his paraphrase translation says this. He says, take your everyday ordinary life. You're walking around, you're eating, you're shopping, you're, you're working, sleeping life. And turn your heart to the Lord and offer all of that in a way that would honor God. In a way that would honor the Lord. This is your reasonable act of worship. It's, it's a sacrifice to the Lord. It's, it's me taking my life and saying, God, what I really want to do is sleep in today, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to serve on a team so that other people at church can experience your presence. It's, it's, it's a sacrifice sometimes to say, God, I really would rather um, watch some Netflix and chill, but I'm going to open my word and give you my full attention tonight instead. God, I, I really uh, feel, Lord, like, like you want me to pray for somebody else, but I don't feel like I'm good at praying. And, and so uh, I'm just going to tell them that I'm praying for them. But what God is really looking for you is to take a little step out of your comfort zone and say, hey, can I pray with you right now? And you just pray. What if the words aren't right? What, who said there were right words to pray? 
Last time I checked, prayer is talking to the Lord. Most of us are pretty good at that, just talking. Friends, it's not so much about just the external. It's about my heart and the process. It's about how am I serving the Lord in the process. It's about worshiping, honoring him. It's about offering these things. Now, now let me unpack something for you. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, all through Scripture, sacrifices were central to this understanding of coming and being with God. We said last week that God's greatest desire is to be with you, to to have his presence be in your life, for you and him to have a relationship. That is God's greatest desire. That hasn't changed. And anytime we're reading the Bible and we slip into a legalistic, I need to perform to earn something from God, we are walking in an incorrect worldview of Scripture. It is absolutely about this relationship that God wants us to do, but it is from this understanding of my relationship with God that I choose actions of obedience to God. See, at the core root of what is happening in this uh, Genesis 4, it's about this understanding that I can trust God at what he said, and I'm going to reveal my trust through my obedient actions. This is the life of, of faith. But all through the Bible, these sacrifices were, were all a part of God. And, 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 and in the Old Testament especially, sacrifices were a pretty bloody mess. Uh, it was. It was costly to bring the first of your flock to the Lord. It was costly to bring something that, that was a part of what you were banking on. It, it was your comfort food. It was what you were ha- counting on. And instead to turn around and say, God, I'm going to trust you to cleanse me and to keep me in right standing with you rather than walking away from you by withholding what you have said for me to bring to you. And in, in biblical understanding, sacrifices and why they're, uh, once you start reading the Old Testament, it can read kind of like a weird uh, cooking recipe like a weird Traeger grilling, kind of like, okay, you're going to smoke this meat, and then you're going to do what with the meat, and what with the entrails, and what with, like, it can get a little bit kind of cloudy in our minds. Can I, uh, without trying to be reductive in the meaning and the value of them, can I try to give you a a grid, a simple grid to understand biblical sacrifice? All of it. Here here we go. Sacrifices had two big purposes, Two, two key purposes for biblical sacrifice. Number one, it was for cleansing. It cleansed you. There was an element of sacrificing and the the shedding of blood that was bringing atonement for your sins. Atonement is a cleansing of us. Atonement is a, a term that expresses the notion of divine forgiveness, divine forgiveness from God. That is the removal of our human guilt and it turns away God's wrath turns it away and now some of you are sitting there thinking God's wrath that sounds really awful I I thought God was a loving God oh he absolutely is loving and he absolutely is just and he absolutely is merciful but I I think it's important that we recognize there are consequences for how we live our life where we place our trust and these sacrifices brought cleansing this this word atonement it means to be at one, made one. It's this understanding of your debts being forgiven. Atonement is, is this understanding where God 
cancels your debt. You can't cancel your debt, but God can cancel your debt. God is a just and righteous judge. We cannot arbitrarily say, I think I'll be righteous because of, we don't get to redefine the terms of righteousness. Uh, friends, I just, I feel like I need, I need to say this real fast. Um, I don't want to live in a world where injustice goes unpunished. Just, just sit for a minute. Nor do I want to live in a world where justice is sentenced in an unjust way. God, who is all-knowing, always present, and all-powerful, is the one who gets to sit in the seat of judgment. Not you and not me. If you're sitting in the seat, that means you're not letting God sit there. And I would rather experience the judgment and the justice of God than of any other human. Because his love is amazing and perfect, and he takes everything into account. There's a, a, a funny scene in the TV show The Office where the character Michael Scott is uh, wrestling with some debt. He's got some financial problems. And uh, he gets the idea, uh, and he hears, first of all, that you could just go and, and, and claim bankruptcy. Like, I just, oh, I need to, I'm, I'm going to declare bankruptcy. And uh, he's like, oh, that's great. This, this seems like my ticket out of my debts. And so he walks out uh, from one room into another room where there are people, and he stands around, and he goes, I declare bankruptcy. As if in his own power of declaration, he could declare himself free of his debts. Friends, that's not how it works. We actually take our debts to a, a power higher than us, to an appeal of a court with some authority and power and justice to serve, and they examine it and they get to declare us free. And that is what happens in heaven. That is what Jesus did for us. He came, he paid the price sufficiently to remove and cancel our debt. The sacrifices in the Old Testament paid the penalty and the price for the sin. So God could say, this has been removed from your account. Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll, open its seal, you who were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to you, our God, and they shall reign on this earth. Hebrews 9, 12, and 14 says, he entered Jesus once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For it is the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkled that defiled person with ashes of a heifer sanctify that of a, of a flesh. How much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. And Romans 5, 6, and 11 says, For a while we are still weak, at the, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were now reconciled to God by the death of his son. Oh, much more. Not that we are reconciled. Shall, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by this life more than that he also rejoiced in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. Sacrifices cleansed. But they didn't just cleanse. Sacrifices allowed us to get close. Allowed us to get close. To come close to God. Because after all, that's what God longs for for us to get close to him. Friends, are, are you standing on the outside of God's presence even though the price and the sacrifice has been made? I know so many people who struggle with worshiping God, struggle with singing and studying scripture and praying because they feel unworthy. Friends, it's not your righteousness that gets you close anyways. It's what Jesus did and your faith in what he did that cleanses you and it allows you to get close. God longs to be with you. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were made to bring cleansing. And everyone in the land who wanted to be cleansed brought a sacrifice on their own behalf. Priests made the sacrifice. And then the priest was able to go close to the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. Everyone brought sacrifices. One got to get close. In the New Testament, one man became the sacrifice, perfect and eternal for everyone. So that everyone can come close and be in the presence of God. God longs to be with you. So he sent his son to be the sacrifice that you couldn't be, and you couldn't provide. John 3, 36 says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but rather the wrath of God remains on him. 1 John 3, 23 and 24 says, and this is his commandment, that we must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, Love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because his spirit he gave us lives in us. Friends, I want you to notice God is, God is the just judge and we need to experience cleansing so that we can come close. But God didn't write Cain off right away. It wasn't that Cain brought the wrong offering and God was like, yep, we're done, you're over with. Did, did you notice in the story, Cain brought the wrong offering? God wasn't pleased. 
he started to get a little envious of his brother Abel and God comes to him and says, um, Cain, isn't it true that if, if you would just bring the right thing, if you would do the right thing, if you would trust and obey me, you would be accepted too. God came to him, giving Cain a chance, I believe, to repent. But Cain decided to hold on to his own bitterness and do it in his own way, live in his own humanism, decide right and wrong for himself. He said, no, no, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna take care of the problem. The problem is my brother. I wouldn't be so envious and jealous if my brother wasn't here. So he took the life of another human. God comes to him. Again. He says, Cain, where's your brother? I, I, I don't know. I know where he's at. Pretending, lying to the almighty God. And God's, God's like, uh, Cain, this, this, isn't, this isn't right. And Cain had some consequences for his choices. His choice to reject God's ways. To, to do it his own way. He had a chance to repent and he didn't repent. He had a chance to turn around and do it different and he didn't do it. I think that's a, that's a great picture and allegory for our lives. God is patient. He's very long-suffering and very patient. Most likely, all of us are going to wake up tomorrow still breathing. That's God's grace still on our lives. He's giving. God doesn't desire that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's his desire. And he's continuing to give us another day, another chance, still being long-suffering and awaiting. But there has to be justice to be served to the evil and to the sins of which we live in our lives. And something has to be done. And Jesus has already paid the price. And we can have that debited into our account if we believe and we trust in him and we choose to follow him. And we, we live with this loyal freedom and, and life to him. But, but like Cain, many people are rejecting and walking away and saying, no, no, no. And there, is, there was a punishment that Cain experienced. He no longer saw flourishing in his life and he was removed eternally from the presence of God. I don't want to go anywhere where God's presence won't go. I don't ever want the Lord to take his Holy Spirit from me. I don't ever... Like David said, Lord, cast me not away from your presence, but restore the joy of my salvation and give me a clean heart, oh God. Guys, it's not the external things that God's looking to earn and he's judging up. Oh, you, you lifted your hands high enough. That's good. But he's looking at our heart of worship. He's looking at our heart of surrender, our heart of repentance. Do we come to him or do we not come to him? All through the story of Genesis 4, as harsh and it seems and shrill and as stark as it might seem, God's grace is all, was, was present through it all. It was present through it all. I believe that God's grace, we want to receive it in our lives. And that the sacrifice of Jesus cleanses us. If we believe it, trust it, and it allows us to come close to God and having a relationship with God. This is what God is after. This is what God is after. Would you stand with me? We want to come to the Lord's table. Would you uh, grab your communion elements, maybe that you received on your way in? And if you're at home, hopefully you've got something nearby that, that you can partake of. And 
Communion is one of those things that we do week in and week out as followers of Jesus. It's for the people of God to do. And we do it as an act of remembrance of the sacrifice of who Jesus was, that his body represented by the blood was broken and that his blood represented by this juice was poured out to remove and cleanse us from our sins, to set us right so that we could receive the righteousness of God. So that we can come close and we can worship and we can have fellowship and we can find the acceptance of God in our lives. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? Take a couple deep breaths and just pause. Just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, are my motives right in my worship for you? There's something in my heart that needs to change. Lord, we've heard your word today. The truth proclaimed. Lord, we want to be people of faith who live a loyal trust in your name. But we don't have all the answers. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that we're supposed to. Lord, if we could figure you out, you wouldn't be God. We would be God in that case. And Lord, today we're calling on your mercy. We're calling on your grace. We're coming to remember what Jesus did for us in his body and his blood. Lord, we receive those things today in faith and gratitude, remembering what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and take the bread together. And now the juice. Would you just simply say, Jesus, thank you. Would you say that? Would you say, Jesus, thank you. Lord, we receive this today with thanksgiving in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that today as we go from this place, Lord, you would bless us and you would keep us. You would make your face shine on us and be gracious to us. Would you lift your countenance towards us and give us your peace? Lord, everywhere we go, would we be reminded this week that we are loved by you and we can come close because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you for it. In the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and then the Holy Spirit who lives within us always, we pray. And the people of God said, Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well. 
faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.